Hi, and welcome back to the Leading Language and Literature podcast. In this episode, I had the privilege of speaking to the EdTech legend, Craig Kemp. Craig is host of the brilliant Ignite EdTech podcast, which has recently hit the 50 episode mark. He's also a digital consultant to schools around the world, as well as being a former teacher and expert speaker for educational innovation. In the interview, we discuss a background to Craig's career and relationship with EdTech so far, inspiring vision statements he has come across in terms of schools and their relationship with technology, the diffusion of innovation model and why Craig starts with it in many of his presentations, platforms that best support student creativity for the likes of video, design or audio production, Uh, and from an English or language learning standpoint, tools Craig likes that can supplement students' reading and writing at primary or secondary level. Lastly, we go over his feelings about equitable access to learning across the world. A massive thanks to Craig for both his consistent insights via his own podcast, as well as the ones he shares with me today. All of his suggestions can be found in the show notes below. Okay, Craig, um, would you mind giving us a background to your career and your relationship with Edutech uh, so far? Yeah, absolutely. Now, thanks for having me on as well, Chris. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here from Singapore. Uh, my background is uh, I'm a primary trained teacher originally from New Zealand. Uh, I've, I've been in uh, Singapore now for nine years, actually. So it's been a long time. So I've been in in teaching and leadership in, in primary and middle school for a long time now. Moved to Singapore uh, to work uh, as a middle school teacher and, and work in leadership in a small Australian international school here. And then moved to a large American international school where I was the director of technology and innovation uh, for four years. Um, after that, you know, two years ago, I started my own consultancy company, Ignite EdTech. Uh, and now I work with schools and EdTech companies all over the world. So my you know, my relationship with technology uh, has always been a positive one. You know, I've been uh, from a young age. My dad was the, you know, in charge of IT at our local hospital. So I've always had a passion for technology. He'd always bring new bits and pieces home. Uh, we'd play with them. We'd pull things apart. You know, we'd have the latest game consoles, you know, Commodore 64s and Amigas and, you know, you name it. We had it brings back memories when I think about it now. And it's, you know, I've always had an interest in it. Uh, I'm not a technical guy. I'm not a techie guy. I'm a teacher. So I know a lot from a teaching and learning perspective. Uh, and that's where my wheelhouse is. That's what gets me excited about how to use technology authentically and purposefully. And now helping other people, you know, create their stories and their visions and, and actually be successful in what they do. Uh, and that's what gets me going. Um, You recently got to... I think episode 50 of your podcast. Congratulations, by the way, that's some, that's some feat. It's, uh, and it's, and it's a consistently excellent podcast. I have to say, um, with regard to kind of, yeah, the, the, the applications of Edutech, um, what you tend to say on that quite a lot of times is, um, you, you constantly endorse starting with the why, so to speak. So, when you're kind of like consulting with schools, like well, why do you want to implement technology? 
What inspiring vision statements have you come across in terms of different schools and their relationship or their desired relationship with technology? Yeah, good question. You know, it's it's an interesting one because schools often don't start with the why. They do they pay lip service to it and they do it. You know, I love Simon Sinek. You know, I love mm-hmm. the way he he focuses people's energy on why. You know, he says people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And that's inspiring to me because it justifies everything we do, you know, and everything I've done with technology in schools that I've worked with and those that I still work with now is, you know, if you can't justify using technology in your classroom or in your school, then don't use it at all. You know, there's no point using it unless it makes a difference. It changes learning. You know, it's when we look at the SAMA model, we, is it direct substitution? You know, are you getting rid of textbooks so you can use textbooks online or are you actually modifying or redefining the learning experience that changes things for good. You know, you're actually making a difference, doing something that's previously inconceivable without the use of technology. And, you know, the a couple of things that, that I love with vision statements that we work on with schools is that every school is unique. And we look at examples of schools. You know, my last school's vision statement was to inspire students to create their unique future. Um, and then we went on to say, you know, academically, socially, ecologically, uh, technologically, so that they're literate citizens in our culturally diverse world. And I love words like diversity. I love words like inspiring or unique um, that actually get us thinking about our learners because that's why we do what we do, to get them ready for their future, not our past, right? As, as educators, we should be thinking about the future of education. You know, the World Economic Forum every year or so releases their future of jobs report. And their most recent one in December of last year focused in on that, you know, 50% of the top 10 skills required of our kids by 2025 are problem-solving skills. So we need to make sure that we're explicitly teaching problem-solving skills. So when I think about statements or vision statements or developing that vision, I think it has to start with why. Why do you do what you do? It has to think about technology. You know, technology isn't going away, whether we want it to or not. It's not going anywhere. We need to make sure that we support people in developing a vision statement, sustainable and actionable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, completely agree. I think sometimes it can feel a little bit like it's technology for technology's sake when a new initiative comes in or, or maybe like a, a donor to the school wants to donate a certain amount of money and yeah I, that, that really rings true with me another thing that you've mentioned in the podcast before Craig is the uh, the diffusion of innovation model um which is something that you start with in a lot of your presentations what what does that what does that mean in practice what is the diffusion of innovation model yeah good question again you know diffusion of innovation uh is a simple one you know it's it's a theory i guess that that's sort of seeks out why and how and at what rate technology change happens. So when we look at the diffusion of innovation model, which is which created by a guy named Everett Rogers, um, it, the, the idea is, and this is old now, right? This is looking back in the 60s and 70s. How does technology change practice? Who comes on board? How do we change things? So we look at things like 
the innovators, which is normally, in my experience, sort of 5% of your school's population, the people that go and just do it. And those are the people that love it and just they're going to do it anyway. So you let them go and do it. And then you have your majority. You know, you have your on either side of that, you have your, you know, your early adopters and your late adopters. And then you have your early majority and your late majority. This middle section is like 70 or 80% of your staff. All that they need often is a helping hand, you know, someone to guide them, someone to support them. And then at the other end of your laggards, your rock dwellers, the people that are going to push back no matter what, the people that say, you know, this is the way I've always done things. Those people aren't going anywhere. And I say to people, they're important to work with, but not right now. You know, I love showing people this model to help them understand the people who are in their building because people drive innovation. Technology doesn't drive innovation. We have to choose where technology goes, you know, and where we take technology, but we're the driving force behind it. We choose how we take it forward and at what rate we take it forward. So we bring the people on board in our school that are going to make that change happen, that we're going to tip that, that momentum, that tipping point over to a point where we're actually going to be able to action and sustain a change that's supportive of our vision and our mission. So when we're doing this, it's not just saying, you know, look at who your innovators are and your laggards are and avoid them because they're going to take 90% of your, like 10% of your time and zap 90% of your energy. But actually, what we need to do is say, well, let's get the majority on board first. Let's hold their hand, the teacher next door model, and bring them up so we can actually have more people innovating. You know, and we really need to support that. We need to make it as, as actionable as possible. And two, we need to be able to make sure that everyone has a say, no matter where they are on this process. So we have to do our best to make sure that as we move forward, everyone has a voice. Everyone has the opportunity to be a part of this process. Otherwise, we're not going to have buy-in. So for me, this diffusion of innovation model is all about, you know, how do we get from point A to point B and be successful in what we do? I've been doing a master's recently, actually, and that that really rhymes true with me that, um, that there are those people who um I, th- this particular research referred to them as luddites which i think is a little bit um a little <laughs> bit unfair i don't know if it's unfair to ken lord or whatever ned lord or whatever he was called or it's unfair to them but yeah that that, that certainly rings true with me as a head of department you are always going to have those people who, who don't even want to log into the system in order to kind of um, make things uh, seemingly more uh, more easy for themselves yeah so in terms of the fact that like a lot of people on Twitter and a few of the interviews that I've done recently have spoken about maybe rethinking the model of assessments, which would see students create a portfolio, for lack of a better word, of uh, what they know. I would imagine that they need a platform or a space to be creative with how they they demonstrate um, that knowledge. What kind of platforms do you recommend, Craig, in terms of supporting student creativity for the likes of video or audio production? Yeah, it's a very, very good question. It's something that I'm seeing more often now as well. And I think this comes back to our, you know, discussion around the why and vision statement as well. And if it's not going to significantly impact student learning and add value to it, then don't do it. If it is, then we start looking at platforms or tools that support what you do. So what do you currently use? Do you currently, you know, are you in a Microsoft suite school or are you in a Google school or, you know, what are you using as your core platforms? Are you using an LMS that has functionality in it? You know, I always think that less is more. And I think it's really important that we 
we focus in on supporting people in this. So I actually like, you know, I'm a I'm an, on Apple devices and I um, am a Google guy myself. Uh, I'm an Apple professional learning specialist and I do this quite a bit and work with schools on these things. It actually doesn't matter what devices you use. It's all about the learning that happens. So you're creating learning experiences that are going to make a difference. So, you know, when I think about portfolios, uh, I think of tools like Seesaw, you know, is that appropriate in secondary schools? Not mm. sure. I've been looking at a company uh, called Spaces EDU recently, which is looking amazing and focusing towards, you know, being the middle and high school version of portfolios to Seesaw. Um, I also look at add-ons. Now, when I'm thinking of using technology effectively, it's about assessment, it's about feedback, it's about, you know, closing that loop. So I look at tools like Floop and Loom that support feedback giving. You know, I like, you know, especially in the English classroom, looking at tools like Peer Deck or Buncee. Mm. You know, there are tools that come to mind as well. You know, Grammarly, you know, I've used uh, off the top of my head an, another tool called Boom Writer, uh, which is an awesome way to get, you know, the global voice happening from all over the world. You know, the game-changing ones in classrooms like Book Creator. You know, my seven-year-old daughter uses Book Creator all the time. There's so many amazing tools that are out there that we should be jumping on. You know, one of my favorites most recently is Moat, um, which is an add-on um, and allows you to add voice feedback and, and connect and engage very simply um, to a piece of learning. Uh, another really important one in this space is Common Lit as well, um, which I love. So, you know, I think it's it's not so much, you know, even though I've rattled off hundreds of tools here, <laughs> it's not so much the tools it's actually making sure that, that those tools are fit for purpose and they actually add value to the learning experience that's taking place. Yeah, I, I think like one particular, you, you, well, I would hope for my kind of particular, um, my occupation is that uh, like English or at least language learning will be a mainstay for quite a long time to come, whether we've got exams or not. Um, but yep. specifically, I mean, you, you've listed a few there for, from an English or language learning standpoint are there any tools that you like personally or that you've seen your kids use that uh, can supplement students reading and writing at primary or secondary level and if you did sort of mention one a few uh, moments ago can you just go into a bit more detail about what it does and um, that kind of thing yeah good question you know I think a staple in the diet of our language learning teachers was always Babel or Duolingo uh, mm. as a way of sort of those initial stages of, of being fluent and, and learning things, um, depending on the language you're learning as well. If it's an Engl English learning, um, then using tools like, um, you know, connecting and engaging through voice. So moat is really important. So hearing voice all the time uh, in practice. Uh, I love Grammarly as a teaching tool to help not just correct things, but actually when teachers integrate that in and use it as a teaching tool. Um, another one that I really love is Education Perfect. Um, their suite of products is incredible and uh, they have the ability for language and learning within that as well, a full suite of products that supports that. The ability to, to do things like with, when it comes to parent communication, switch on and off languages, so changing things, and that comes down to you know using tools like Seesaw. Um, I love using Seesaw and we set up some rules with our kids that when they share something home, they had to share in English 
and they could choose whether that was verbally or or writing in written form, uh, but they could also share in their mother tongue. So if they chose to, to write or type in English their, their feedback to the learning activity they did, they could then voice over for mum, dad, or auntie, uncle, grandma back home in whatever language they use at home. So it's a nice way to, to differentiate and show that that's respected and we value it, um, but that, that communication and collaboration piece in English is important as well. I, I love closed captions actually too. So the ability to have closed captions, things like immersive reader is really helpful, um, that, that it's been built into a lot of tools and apps now. Um, so yeah, that, that's probably where I'm at with that. That's fantastic. I, I, I've heard of like maybe a percentage of them, not very many at all. That moat sounds particularly interesting actually with the kind of the, the well, with COVID and that kind of thing, I think modeling or sort of demonstrating expertise has become really, really difficult. I know a lot of schools have um, invested in the kind of the visualizers, the personal visualizers, but if you have something where it's um, kind of like a, a voice recording or something where you can send like an audio um, example of like an ex uh, explanation or that kind of thing. I think that's really valuable. So what I'll do is I'll certainly kind of search those things myself, if only from a selfish point of view, but um, I'll, I'll link them in the um, the description below. Yeah. Um, it Just as a final question, Craig, I think um, going back to what I said a moment ago about like exams being cancelled and this kind of thing, um do you think the whole technology thing again you, you do get some people who say like it's just it, it's superfluous it's something which is you know it, it looks good on the the school's um sort of um website or it looks good on the school's sort of prospectus and this kind of thing but in the future and I, I know like a lot of schools that you work with have like the one-to-one -one device um policy and that kind of thing do you think in the future it's quite a difficult question to answer, but I worry a little bit that the sort of school that I work at or maybe the sort of schools that you work with, they're getting like better and better and better, stronger and stronger and stronger in terms of technology. Have you got any worries about the gap that will leave between sort of uh, countries that, that don't have the sort of money at like state scale to fund um, that kind of technology usage or even just the schools maybe in the UK or New Zealand or Australia, whatever, that can't afford it. Do you think we'll see in the future like a case of the haves and the have-nots or yeah. is, there, is, is there hope for everyone to be able to benefit from it? Yeah, again, awesome question and something really, you know, at the forefront of my mind as well. You know, I, I am a really big believer and supporter of equitable access to learning and, you know, equitable access to learning nowadays actually starts with a device, you know, a physical device that you can use that actually adds value to the learning experience. You know, a lot of places have rubbish devices that actually take away from the easy learning experience that should be. So I'll use Singapore as a good example. Singapore has reduced their eight-year rollout plan of, of devices in their national schools here. Um down to a two-year plan. And actually, by the end of this academic year, every secondary school student in Singapore from the age of 12 will have a one-to-one -one device um, and it's compulsory and it's um, supplemented financially by the government. 
um, but it's student-owned. Schools can decide whether it's student-owned or school-owned. Most are going student-owned, so they can take it on their journey with them. They've been really specific about the specs of those devices, which is great as well, uh, and pretty good prices on devices. So equitable access to devices is critical, I think. And, and I think more governments need to invest time and energy into what Singapore have done. And yes, Singapore is a wealthy nation, um, and I totally understand that from a financial perspective. But if we're to be equitable here, and this maybe comes down to charitable organizations, United Nations, I don't know, um, or wealthy countries supporting those around them, if we're truly going to be equitable, then we have to make sure that every country and every person has the same experience, has the ability to actually learn and connect and engage through a, a device. You know, who knows? Some of the countries in, in Asia here uh, be talking to people in countries all around here. Who knows when they will be online until? Who knows how long they'll be isolated for? It could be years until they're able to connect and engage in an authentic face-to-face -face way. We have to make sure we're being equitable and supporting everyone. And then that goes from teacher professional learning all the way down to students and access to devices. So yes, I think that there's definitely the have and have nots things and a split that can happen here. And I think it's already happening within certain countries. And really it comes down to, to one thing. Are the governments in these countries willing to step up and say, we will give equitable rights and access to learning no matter what that is and no matter where you are. So I think of countries like the UK, the US, Australia, New Zealand. There is no excuse why these countries shouldn't be giving equitable access to devices. There's no reason why they should be not providing an equity base for that. You know, And, and I'm pretty passionate about that. They then need to support the countries around them. It's going to be a long journey. But it has to start somewhere, in my opinion. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, okay. Um, all that remains for me to say is, first of all, thank you very much for the the podcast. The um, I've I've learned a lot actually from the the podcast in terms of how you put it together and the suggestions you make. It's like super to the point, interesting interviews, not particularly self-indulgent, which I've kind of accused myself of uh, in, in past episodes in terms of how much I speak. It's so, like really um, fantastic economy of advice and that kind of thing. And secondly, yeah, thank you very much for offering your ideas today. I'll, I'll be putting, uh, I'll be searching for all the add-ons or the, uh, the platforms that you mentioned before and seeing if I can bring them into uh, my new job that I'm starting in August. So thank you very much for taking the time to speak to me today, Craig. Absolutely, Chris. Thank you so much. Pleasure to be here and thanks for having me. Cheers.